Amen. Like all good scripture songs and hymns, uh, that song is good primarily because it points our eyes off of ourselves as our hope and sets our eyes on Christ. We are in a battle. The war has already been won, as the song reminds us. But daily we battle the world, the flesh, and the devil. The Christian life, it's warfare. And we learned this morning what it takes to do our part in the battle of the war that Christ has won on our behalf. Turning your Bibles to Colossians chapter 4. I'm sorry to say we come to the end of a study this morning that I have really enjoyed. And I hope that you have gotten a lot out of Paul's letter to Colossae as well. Again, a church he'd never been to, to people he'd never met. And the theme of Colossians, we've discovered, is the Christ-centered life. And we've looked at various themes throughout the letter related to the Christ-centered life. Our final theme this morning is the Christ-centered life, perseverance in grace. Jesus said it's the one who perseveres to the end who will be saved. Now, how could he say that? That sounds like works. No, he's saying that the grace that he grants enables, empowers, and motivates perseverance. Perseverance is something that God works in us and then we work out. Work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Why? Because God is already at work in you, both to will and to work according to his good pleasure. Grace drives everything. And remember, grace is opposed to earning, not effort. Grace actually empowers effort. Now, if we're honest, sometimes we get tired of the battle. Sometimes we get tired of the effort. Sometimes we feel like giving up or at least pulling back. Sometimes we feel like checking out. And those are the very times God calls us to continue to press on in the fight. Many of you may not know this, but during World War II, specifically May of 1940, All of Great Britain was this close to simply giving in to Hitler. France had fallen, the Netherlands, Belgium, and now the Nazis were focusing on England. The people of England were tired, they were afraid. They thought that anything would be better than what they were facing currently. And most of Parliament was in agreement. They wanted to pursue a path of appeasement, so-called peace, with Hitler. One man decided that was a very foolish course of action. His name, of course, was Winston Churchill. 
And over the series of four weeks, Winston Churchill gave three of the greatest speeches of his life, one of which is considered to be one of the greatest speeches of the entire 20th century. I've set the context. I've let you know about what's happening. Most of Parliament is wanting to vote for appeasement. And Churchill is trying to give people courage to press on. Give people courage to fight the good fight, to persevere, to not throw in the towel. So in your spiritual lives, put yourself in that context as they were physically, and you'll see the parallels. I want you to watch this clip, and as you hear Churchill's words and read them on the screen, I want you to picture the Lord Jesus giving you a similar speech to persevere as we look at Colossians 4. We too face a diabolical enemy. He's malicious. He hates us. If you're married, he hates your marriage. If you have children, he hates your kids. If you're single, he hates for you to even think about being happy. He will try to destroy every relationship you have and keep you in isolation. This enemy is relentless. And though we may tire of the battle, and though we may look for areas of appeasement, we must not flag or fail. We must fight. And it's God's grace in us that enables us and empowers us to keep pressing on. Let's all stand in a reverence for God's Word and follow along as I read Colossians 4, 2 through 18. This is God's Word. Continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. At the same time, pray also for us, that God might open to us a door for the word to declare the mystery of Christ on account of which I am in prison, that I may make it clear, which is how I ought to speak. Walk in wisdom toward outsiders, making the best use of the time. Let your speech always be gracious seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. Tychicus will reveal, will tell to you about all my activities. He is a beloved and faithful minister and fellow servant in the Lord. I have sent him to you for this very purpose, that you may know how we are, and that he may encourage your hearts. And with him, Onesimus, our faithful and beloved brother who is one of you, they will tell you of everything that has taken place here. Aristarchus, my fellow prisoner, greets you, and Mark, the cousin of Barnabas, concerning whom you have received instructions. If he comes to you, welcome him. And Jesus, who is called Justice, these are my, the only men of the circumcision among my fellow workers for the kingdom of God, and they have been a comfort to me. Epaphras, who is one of you, a servant of Christ Jesus, greets you, always struggling on your behalf in his prayers, that you may stand mature 
and fully assured in all the will of God. For I bear him witness that he has worked hard for you and for those in Laodicea and Hierapolis. Luke, the beloved physician, greets you, as does Demas. Give my greetings to the brothers at Laodicea and to Nympha and the church in her house. And when this letter has been read among you, have it also read in the church of Laodiceans. And see that you also read the letter from Laodicea. And say to Archippus, see that you fulfill the ministry that you have received in the Lord. I, Paul, write this greeting with my own hand. Remember my chains. Grace be with you. May God bless the hearing and teaching of his inspired, infallible, inerrant, and authoritative word. This is God's word. He gave it to us because he loves us. And he wants us to know that he will provide the grace for us to persevere to the end. Let's pray. God, take this word and apply it now to our hearts and minds so that we might persevere in Christ by your grace. Come, Holy Spirit, be our teacher. In Jesus' name, amen. Go ahead and have a seat. So one of the the great reformers is a guy named John Calvin. Uh, John Calvin wrote a lot of uh, literature on the essential doctrines of grace. After Calvin died, some other people who were not followers of that brand of Christianity attacked Calvin's writings at five particular points. The response of Calvin's branch of the church to those five attacks became known as the essential doctrines of grace. And we've been able to summarize those in an acronym that you've probably heard, TULIP, T-U-L-I-P, total depravity, unconditional election, limited atonement, irresistible grace, and perseverance of the saints. That's what Paul's talking about this morning. But, but in some ways, I take issue with perseverance of the saints, although it's true. What it really is, biblically, is the perseverance of grace in the saints that enables and empowers us to persevere to the end. And don't think that's just mere semantics. It is not. We cannot persevere apart from the grace of God. So that's why this morning's message is the Christ-centered life, perseverance in grace. Three areas in which we need to persevere, press on, persist. First of all, keep pressing on in prayer. Look at verse 2. Continue steadfastly in prayer. Paul is urging us all to continue in prayer constantly. Paul calls us to persistence. If you think about it, nothing flows more necessarily from grace than prayer. I mean, what, what are the core doctrines of grace? That we are weak, that we are needy, that we are broken, that we are sinful, and that we're desperate. 
And unless you have those assumptions and presumptions, there's really no need for grace. So therefore, if we're gripped by grace, we're going to be gripped by our weakness and our desperation. And therefore, a grace-gripped people will be a prayer-centered people. Because prayer is run by need. The more we're aware of need, the need of ourselves, the need of our families, the need of our church, the need of our community and state and nation and world, the more we will pray. But notice Paul says continue steadfastly, persevere. Why? Because it's an area we so easily want to give up on. We can talk with each other for, over coffee uh, for hours and we find ourselves wanting to give up in prayer after a couple minutes. Now, part of that is not that you or I are undisciplined. (laughs) That may be part of it. But the other part of it is Satan hates nothing more than prayer. Prayer is really the only thing that scares him, other than, of course, the cross of Jesus Christ. There is power in prayer. In verse 2, Paul goes on to say, be watchful in it. That word watch means to be alert. Uh, When, when, you know, you've heard of fasting, which is giving up food for prayer. There's also watching, which is giving up sleep for prayer. But then there's watching in regular prayer during waking hours, and that is be hyper-vigilant. So not only does Paul call us to persistence in prayer, he calls us to vigilance in prayer as well. Just like Jesus said, watch and pray so you will not enter into temptation. Look, we all face temptation of all kinds, but one of the reasons we give in to temptation is because we're not the people of prayer God calls us to be. Most of us are way too self-reliant, way too self-confident, way too self-sufficient. And a good diagnostic or barometer of how self-sufficient and self-reliant you are, and for me too, is whether or not we're people of prayer. If we're not praying by definition, we are self-reliant people. Desperate people, weak people, needy people. Those are the people who pray and watch. And specifically, what we're to watch for besides just being alert in prayer, is watchfulness is always related, I shouldn't say always, most often related to the return of Christ. Remember, Jesus said, watch, be ready, for the Son will come at a time when you least expect Him. So our our watchfulness in prayer is motivated, yes, by our need, but also by the the return of Christ, that we prepare ourselves daily in readiness for Christ's return. You know, wouldn't it be nice? Well, maybe it wouldn't be nice, but wouldn't it be interesting uh, if they had a death clock? Uh, Now, they actually, there's some, you know, websites that say they are a death clock. You put in all kinds of information, it tells you when you're going to die. If we had that for real, though, 
how differently would we live our lives? If you knew your day was this week, how would you leave? How would you live? Or if you knew it was 10 years, which is, you know, more likely for some of us, or 50 years for some of us, or more, how would you choose to live your life? If it was 80 years down the road, would you slack off? If it was 80 days down the road, how would you live? Paul is saying, live and pray as if Christ will come back today. Be dependent. And then notice it says, be watchful in prayer with thanksgiving. Why is that important? Because the more thankful we are for what God has already done in Christ for us, the more that fuels our faith to be able to pray in faith, believing. And have you ever looked at the promises of God's word concerning believing prayer? He said, if if you ask for anything and do not doubt in your heart, it will be done. So the thanksgiving part of prayer is what fuels our faith. That's right, God, you're good. That's right, God, while I was still a sinner, you sent Christ to die for me. That's right, God, when I wasn't seeking you, you sought me. God, you had my good in your heart from eternity past when I wasn't even born. Oh, God, I can pray to you in faith. Thanksgiving helps us press on in prayer. And then notice Epaphras in verse 12 is always struggling on behalf of the Colossians in his prayers. Intense wrestling. See, prayer puts us in the very center of the battlefield. We are such activists as Americans. We're such, you know, go, 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 go. And as a result, we're not really pray, 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 pray. So we actually think we doing the work is the work. Can I, can I just confess? I am terrible with this when it comes to my messages. I work hard to prepare messages. And I love it. But I will tell you, I wish I could say that I spend an hour in prayer for every hour in preparation. Well, that would be my whole week right there. <laughs> preparation and prayer, that'd be it. I'd be, I'd be full. But we tend to put more trust in our work. Than God's work. Famous person once said, when we work, we work. When we pray, God works. Prayer puts us in the midst of the battlefield. And then what do we pray about? Oftentimes we want to pray about being fixed. We want to pray about God fixing our circumstances and situations. Now listen, we're called to pray about everything. So don't feel guilty about bringing anything before God in prayer. But oftentimes, the Spirit is groaning through us with groanings that are too deep for words. And though we may be praying about this situation, Jesus at the Father's right hand and the Spirit are interceding for us according to God's will. And it's usually much, much deeper than what we're praying about. 
God, fix my broken car. Okay, that's fine. But the Spirit saying, look what it says in verse 12. God, make Bob stand mature in the midst of his broken down car. Make Bob fully assured in all the will of God with regards to his broken down car. You see, the real focus of prayer is not that our circumstance would be changed, although we can pray for our circumstances to change. But real prayer is saying, God, regardless of the circumstances, change me. So as we pray, not only does God release His angels and His power to change things, but just as importantly, if not more so, He releases His Spirit to change us. And so we persevere, we press on in prayer. Remember what Jesus said about prayer when it came to the the widow? Uh, This was a parable uh, in Luke. By the way, Luke, the Luke that is mentioned, the beloved physician who traveled around with Paul and got the information uh, from the disciples, especially from Paul about the life of Jesus, and therefore he wrote the gospel. In Luke 18, Luke explains, Jesus told a parable so that we might always pray, continue steadfastly in prayer, and not lose heart. Isn't that the greatest temptation with respect to prayer? To just lose heart. God's not listening. God's not acting. This is a waste of time. And Jesus says, keep pressing on. In prayer. He tells the parable about this widow that's been treated unjustly. She's not receiving what she should be receiving. And she goes to this unjust judge who doesn't care a thing about God and really doesn't care about the widow. And the text tells us that she keeps going back day after day after day. And finally, the judge is just tired of her. I mean, she has worn him slap out. And he says, Look, I don't care about God, and I don't care about you, but I want some peace and quiet. I will grant you what you want. And then Jesus says, you see that evil person that answered her request? Your Father in heaven who is good. How speedily, how speedily will he answer the prayers of his children? And then Jesus concludes the parable and the teaching with this. But when the Son of Man returns, will he find faith, i.e. prayer, on the earth? The whole passage, the whole parable is about prayer. So when when the passage says, will the Son of Man find faith on the earth, what he's saying is, will there be people praying when the Son of Man returns? Or will we be so self-sufficient and so self-reliant that we're a bunch of activists thinking that our work works? Now, listen, there is a place for our work. That doesn't tend to be the problem in churches like ours. I've found that prayerlessness in go-getter communities is usually the bigger problem. 
when the Son of Man returns, will he find faith? The language of desperation for Jesus is prayer. Keep pressing on in prayer. Secondly, keep pressing on in mission. Now, Paul sort of transitions from a focus on prayer to a focus on perseverance in mission. He says, as part of your prayer, verse 3, pray for us that God may open to us a door for the word. See, even when it comes to missions, it's great that we have a passion for missions. It's great that we give sacrificially for missionaries to go to all the nations. But without prayer, missions falls apart. You talk to missionaries, and they will tell you, if there's a choice, keep your money and pray. If there's a choice. We'd love you to do both. But what we desperately need is your prayer. But Paul's got a method to his madness here. You see, he's telling the people to pray for his mission. Well, what happens as you begin praying for mission? It begins to become more and more on your heart as well. So praying for Paul's mission is participating in Paul's mission, and then it's actually becoming our mission. It begins to become the heartbeat of our lives. Then he says, pray that he could declare the mystery of Christ and that he would do it clearly. The mystery of Christ is actually the mystery which is Christ. Christ in the Old Testament, Messiah in the Old Testament was in shadows, it was in prophecies, it was in promises, but now the reality has come. The mystery has been revealed. And when it comes to mission, our role is simply to proclaim Jesus. Please be very careful about confusing cultural issues with gospel witness. There are only a few elements of truth that are necessary for someone to be delivered from hell and brought to heaven by the work of Christ. Very, very few things. There is a God. He created you. Adam rebelled. You're guilty of Adam's rebellion. You've added your own rebellion. The wages of sin is death. Without a Savior, you have no hope. Jesus is God's provision. Jesus was sent by God to live the life you couldn't live, I couldn't live, nobody could live. Jesus was sent to die the death that none of us could afford. And if we would transfer our trust from our own efforts to the finished work of Christ and the promises of the gospel, you will be saved. End of gospel presentation. And folks, if you put in anything else, you've adulterated the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now again, I'm not talking about the Christian life. We'll disciple the people that come to Christ. But if you put in anything else than I just said into a gospel presentation, you have adulterated the gospel of Jesus Christ. He says, that's what he means by declaring it um, clearly. He says, uh, the word on which he is in prison. Mission is costly. Hey, 
Churchill in England standing up to Hitler was costly. Storming the beaches at Normandy was costly. Mission is costly. It probably won't cost us our lives here. It could. It could cost us our children's lives, our grandchildren's lives, if we train them up and present missions as an option for their lives. But what we all risk losing is our, our comfort zone. Look, I love sharing my faith, but I, I'd be lying to you if I didn't tell you that every single time there's a little bit of hesitation. Every single time there's a little bit of... And you're going to feel uncomfortable taking the initiative to share the gospel of Jesus Christ. I'm not going to guilt you here, but I just want you to think about this. How many of us here have never shared Christ with a lost person? How many of us here have never had the privilege of leading a lost person to faith in Jesus Christ? telling you we we need to be about the mission of sharing the gospel of jesus christ that's our whole mission statement engaging every neighbor with the surprising power of grace over the fence of our backyard over the mountain into the city overseas to the nations and yes even over the pew because i guarantee you there are people in our church who think they know christ and don't. Matter of fact, we're going to get to that in a moment. Verse 5, walk in wisdom toward outsiders, making the best use of the time. Outsiders are those that, that are de-churched, those that are unchurched, those that are not part of a worshiping fellowship. And we're to make the best use of the time. It means, it means all kinds of deals in a store, and you buy up every single item of that deal. That's what time is, and we're to buy it up. We're to wring every last drop of mission out of every moment of life. Paul is assuming that God is constantly setting up divine appointments for us. That's why he goes on to say in verse 6, Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt. Listen here. How we share our faith is as important as that we share our faith. How we witness is as important as that we witness. And Paul says, be gracious. You know, there's nothing so incongruent than talking to a person about grace while failing to be gracious. Can you think of anything more incongruent than that? You think of the top ten words with which the world would describe the church. Do you think gracious would make the top ten? I, I don't personally think it would. Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt. 
You know what that means? That means winsome, attractive, magnetic. It doesn't mean you need to be attracted, not that kind of magnetic. But, but your heart is so gentle toward people and so loving toward people and so kind toward people, even people with whom you disagree. We're talking about outsiders. People, please don't expect the world to think like Christians. That's craziness. Why would you ever expect the world to think like Christians? And the way we win the world is through gracious speech, seasoned with salt. And then it says, well, by the way, Jesus was known by this. Jesus in Luke 4, 24, Luke again writing, people marveled at the gracious words coming from his mouth. Isn't that beautiful? Our Savior set the stage and sets the pace and sets the bar for our witnessing. People marveled at the gracious words from his mouth. We must press on in mission. It's too important. I, I fear that at times in places like Oak Mountain that is such an incredibly wonderful, beautiful, warm-hearted church that I, I fear sometimes we forget that we're called to witness, all of us, every one of us, all the time. And listen, I fail. I, I, I miss opportunities. I don't go through doors that God has opened, but that's where we repent. And that's where we believe the kindness of the gospel and the power of the gospel. And then that's when we persevere still more. It's just too important. Uh, there was a Mercedes-Benz commercial. And uh, it was this, on this catapult. This car was on this catapult. And it, and it just got from like zero to 60 in a second and a half. And it blasted into this concrete wall. And they had the dummies with all the electrodes to see whether they had head injuries and uh, body injuries and things like that. And, uh, and it was amazing. It showed all these, these things in slow motion that crumpled just the way they were supposed to. So they absorbed all the energy of the accident and, and the people in the passenger compartment were safe. And, and Mercedes has patented this. And yet they haven't prosecuted the patent. They've let everybody use it. All car makers are using this patent developed by Mercedes. And in the commercial, the spokesperson is asked, why do you not enforce the patent? And the spokesperson says this, some things are too important not to share. They're talking about a car. We're talking about the gospel of Jesus Christ. And it is too important not to share. So persevere in prayer. Press on in prayer. Ask God in your devotional every single morning, God, give me a chance to share my faith today. If he doesn't, then open your eyes more. But the next day, pray it again. Pray it again. Pray it every day. God, give me an opportunity to share my faith with a lost person. 
God, give me an opportunity to open my mouth about Jesus Christ. And you just keep praying that. And first of all, you'll see doors open you never saw before. You ever bought a white car and all of a sudden everybody has a white car? Right? Or you get a certain model and everybody else has that model? Well, it's because you're aware. As we pray for missional opportunities, we will become more aware of those opportunities. Keep pressing on in prayer. Keep pressing on in mission. And then thirdly, keep pressing on in fellowship. In verses 7 through 9, three times in three verses, Paul talks about people in his fellowship who know enough about his life to inform the Colossians and the Laodiceans about what's happening with him. Verse 7, Tychicus will tell you all about my activities, or about all my activities. Verse 8, I sent him that you may know how we are. Verse 9, Tychicus and Onesimus, by the way, Onesimus was a slave who ran away from his master. And if you want to know more about it, read the book of Philemon, because that's what it's all about. But here's Paul, uh, again, uh, calling a, a bondservant with all dignity, calling him a beloved uh, brother. But Onesimus will help tell the Colossians, because he was a member of the Colossian church. Uh, he, will, he will tell people how Paul is doing. My point is this. A fellowship is a safe place for us to talk about what's going on in our lives. See, friendship is just going out and playing golf and talking about whatever. Friendship is having people over for dinner and just talking about whatever. Okay? Friendship's great. Fellowship is friendship focused on Christ. We want friends. We desperately need fellowship. Who is there in your life who knows everything about you such that you feel seen, you feel heard, and you feel safe. And you know they're going to be honest with you. Aristarchus, verse 10, my fellow prisoner greets you. Fellowship is critical because it multiplies our joys and it divides our sorrows. Some scholars even think that Aristarchus actually just moved into the jail with Paul. That he wasn't even arrested. But he just moved in with Paul to keep him company. Don't know if it's true, but what a beautiful concept. Fellowship. Verse 10, Mark, the cousin of Barnabas. You know what happened there in the book of Acts. Mark went wee, wee, wee all the way home. Okay, just like he did in the Garden of Gethsemane, Mark was in the garden with Jesus when he got arrested. And he was so scared, he ran. Somebody took him by the cloak. And I don't know why he didn't have anything underneath, but he left with the cloak in the guy's hands, and he runs away naked. Mark was a scaredy cat. I can relate. Mark was fearful, anxious. So much so that Paul thought Mark was disqualified from leadership. And then Paul grows. We got to get rid of this idea that Paul had it together. <laughs> he knew a lot because Jesus revealed it to him. But Paul was just as broken as you or I are broken. Paul repents 
And I think John Mark repented too. And now Mark is with Paul in Rome, in ministry. A fellowship is a gracious, forgiving fellowship. And then verse 12, Epaphras, struggling in prayer that you stand mature and fully assured. You need people in your fellowship that are burdened for your spiritual health. Epaphras wasn't just praying, oh God, we pray for their broken down car. He, he prayed that. Well, he didn't pray for a car. But he was praying for what's really important in people's lives. Who do you have in your life that looks past the surface issues and really cares about the deeper issues in your life and is willing to pray it and talk to you about it? Luke, the beloved physician, verse 14, proximity, fellowship requires proximity. Luke was the beloved physician because he traveled with Paul. He wasn't loved because he traveled. To Paul, he became a beloved friend because they spent so much time together on ships and on mission. You can't be part of a fellowship without proximity. It takes nearness. It takes time. Demas this is 62 A.D., Colossians, Paul's first Roman imprisonment. Demas sends greetings. Demas is with Paul. 24 months later, Paul writes 2 Timothy. Chapter 4. Demas has deserted me. Because he loved the world. 24 months. Demas sends greetings. He's with me. 24 months. Demas has deserted me. Because he loved the world. I guarantee at some point he lost fellowship. At some point he began isolating. At some point. Demas and Paul were not connecting. You know, deserting Jesus doesn't happen overnight. It's a process. And you know what the first element of the process is? Isolation. You know, sadly, I could predict, if you brought me a list of the members of the church, sadly, I could predict who's going to go off the rails in just a matter of time. Because I look at their engagement. If they're disengaged from fellowship, it's only a matter of time till they fall off the rails. Mark it down. It is practically a tragic guarantee. So look at your lives. Are you connected? Are you engaged? Are there people pointing you to Jesus? Are there people looking after your soul? In verse 16, it talks about the church in Laodicea that is just up the road. And Paul wrote a letter to the Laodiceans that we don't have. See, there's, there's letters that Paul wrote that, that weren't inspired. They were just Paul. 
And we don't know where Laodicean's letter is, but we have Colossians. But they were supposed to swap letters and read them. And here's a beautiful element of our denomination, the PCA. We're not just a church. We're a church where all the pastors are under the authority of the presbytery. And all the elders and pastors of the presbytery are under the authority of the general assembly. But it's not just authority. It's beautiful fellowship as well. And we need to have fellowship with each other. Then finally, verse 17, tell Archippus to fulfill his ministry. A fellowship propels us to play our part in God's story. We're just not always going to be ready to play our part in the story. And it takes the fellowship to propel us, to inspire us, to motivate us. And of course, bringing things full circle now, verse 18, I, Paul, write this greeting with my own hands. Grace be with you. It's only perseverance by grace. The perseverance of grace in the saints. That's what enables us to keep on keeping on. Gordon MacDonald uh, was a pastor. He fell. He repented. Uh, and then has become a prolific uh, writer and also just a great leader uh, for, the, for the church. And he was in an Alcoholics Anonymous meeting, not because he needed to be there for an addiction, but because he went with a friend. And at this meeting, uh, a woman walked in. She was maybe 35, and it looked like she was 90. I mean, bloodshot eyes, bulging face, red ears, scrunched up nose. Her hair didn't look like it had been washed in weeks. And this woman opens up and tells everyone her name. Her name's Catherine. And then she starts sobbing uncontrollably. She said, for the past month, I've lived in five states. I sleep under bridges. I've been robbed. I've been starving. I've been raped. She said, it's crazy, I know. But I can't stop drinking. I just can't stop. I can't. And again, she's just sobbing and sobbing as she says this. And one of the other women who had been there a while got up and walked over, sat down next to her, and just buried her head uh, in the woman's chest. And, and she said, we've got you. We'll work through this together. But listen to me. You just keep coming. Keep coming. And that's what Jesus says to every one of you. I don't know what you're going through. I don't know what issues you might be wrestling with. But you just keep coming. Keep coming to church. Keep coming to the fellowship. Keep coming to the throne of grace. Keep coming back to mission. And we'll get through this together. We'll not only survive, 
the onslaught of the enemy. We will thrive. Let's pray. Father, thank you for Colossians. What a wonderful time we've had in this letter. God, I pray that um, it'd be a lifelong study for many of us here just to enjoy what you have to say to us. Father, if there's anybody here this morning that, that hasn't responded to the pure, unadulterated gospel, then today, Lord, would be the day of their salvation. They would see their need, transfer their trust, and cast themselves upon the promises of grace through Jesus. Lord, for the rest of us, enable us to persevere. Help us to be people of prayer. Help us to be people of mission. And, oh God, please make us a people of fellowship, or there is no hope. God, we ask all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's all stand and hear our benediction. The promise of God's grace, just like we sang. I just love raising my hands and blessing everybody when that song is on. And so let me do it one more time. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord turn his countenance upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord turn his face towards you and give you peace, both now and always. Amen. Amen.